The Lord Jesus Christ told the Apostle Peter that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. While we recognize that God will never abandon his church, we also recognize the many dangers that have always been from without and from within regarding the stealing or hurting of God's sheep. So on today's episode, we ask the question, what is the greatest threat outside of the church? The Good Fight Radio Show. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about that very thing, the dangers that are not in the church, but outside forces that are coming against God's church. And to discuss this very, very important topic is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Well, Chad, it's an important topic because... As believers, we're members of the church, and the church is attacked from the outside and within, uh, but we're looking at threats from the outside, and individual believers, where corporately the gates of hell will not prevail, but individual believers are called to persevere, right, in the faith, and where branches attach to the vine, and they have to abide or they can be cut off, so we have to be concerned about these threats, and when you pose the question, because we talk about, you know, hey, what do you want to deal with uh, the, these shows that are coming up, I thought, that's a great topic. But I thought, well, you know, we parable of the sower is always pretty interesting because it's various ways the enemy brings attacks. I thought, wow, Mark 4, Luke, or Luke 8, Mark 4, Matthew 13, and persecution is something, right, uh, that we see in Mark 4. Jesus talks about the pleasures of this world, talks about trials, squeezing the word out of people. So there's a lot of different choices. And we haven't discussed what our answers are yet. I thought we might even pick the same thing. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm scratching my notes, and if he's kind of peaked, you know, hopefully he can uh, say, oh, that's the same or it's different. But I'm going to start with you, Chad, and then you'll go off for a little bit, and then I'll go off, and hopefully you'll be warned, and I'll be encouraged. No, and and I love that you said specifically the parable of the sower, because I did have a lot of the parable sower in mind, because you do have a situation where this seed is sown, and guess what? That's the imperishable, imperishable seed of God's Word but yet, when it comes to the soil, which soil are you going to be? And yeah. I tell this story a lot, but I, I, I think it's an important one uh, because I remember the first time we ever did an event here at the church that I was a part of, I shared my testimony and somebody wanted to come to Christ. And I was sad because I thought, oh, maybe they didn't want to listen to the message or something. But actually, they had walked in and ran into you. And one of the things you did with that young man was take him through that parable to see how serious does this guy want to be in Not terms cost, of, yeah. exactly, sit down first, calculate the cost to see if you have enough to finish the job. Because we want to talk about those dangers, not from within. And when we use that terminology, what we're actually coming from is a place from Second Corinthians chapter 11, specifically as well, from what Paul had talked about, all the dangers that he went through. Yeah. And I was thinking about that. And I know and we will be discussing within, yeah. you know, hopefully next yep, time. That's exactly right. And I was thinking, Man, there's so many dangers inside the church, whether it's dangers among false brethren or so forth. There are things that are inside the church, some of which I think there are real believers, genuine believers, but they have something dangerous that they may be teaching or maybe not teaching as well. And so, and in some terms, are just out and out wolves, you know? Yes. And then there are ones that are, and exactly, you check it with, of course, Matthew chapter 7, starting yeah. at verse 15, uh, and, and check them against that are they those people that their fruit does bear the fruit of a wolf and not one of god's sheep so what are some of these dangers from without and 
The way that Paul described them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, a lot of those things, I mean, you can go on the list of shipwrecks and so forth, but I do think in terms of our discussion here, I was thinking a lot of, as you mentioned, the parable of the sower and those pleasures of this life. And I was thinking this, and maybe this is from my background a little bit of being involved now in the young adults uh, teaching as well as the youth group alongside Tommy as well as some other brothers and sisters uh, with the middle school and high school. And I think of the pleasures of this life that come from the outside and now how easily they are just right at the forefront of their life all the time. When we wanted to see a movie that we really liked, even as, and I'm not even thinking about the time of Jesus and, and so forth, but if we wanted to see a movie we wanted to see, if we wanted to see you know, a TV show. We had to wait next week for the episode. There is none of that anymore, Joe. There yeah. is none of Instant that gratification. Waiting. Instant gratifications. If you want to watch a sporting event, you can record it and then you don't even got to watch commercials. You can skip through plays you don't want. Instant gratification. And so there are so many ways that that's happening. And so, yes, obviously, and we can see from that and we could get into what happens to dopamine and what happens with video games, what happens with TikTok. But one of the things, and I wanted specifically to deal with one of the ways that I see the enemy attacking young people, and that's my goal, is to go after what the enemy is doing towards young people over and over again. And one thing for people my age and even a little bit younger, one of the ways I've seen him come and attack is by getting them away from their family, away from the household, even, and I'm talking about we're talking about dangers in the church. So these are people that have grown up in the church. And one of the things that happens to these young people is there may be seeds of rebellion that, that happen. There may be things that they allow in their household that come to fruition later. But one of the biggest dangers that I've noticed, and this is from counseling people into Christ, uh, you know, sharing the gospel with people, seeing come to Christ, or seeing people that maybe have faltered in their walk. But there seems to be just... The devil's brew of a situation for young people where they go off to school maybe for the first time, away from their parents, away from the home, and now they're in a secular field. And not only they're in a secular field, but their professors do not love the Lord, they do not know them. And at the same time, as they have professors telling them that everything they have believed, what their parents have told them as lies, and guys, I'm telling you this not as, oh, this is just what the Christians say or told to kids. No, I went to school as a non-believer and got saved during that time, right before I turned 21. So yes, I saw that, I saw it with my friends, I saw the questions that were asked. But it's not just simply, oh, there's a professor, there's this authority over them. They're going there paying a lot of money, fifty dollars to $100,000 sometimes a year to go to these schools to be propagated this nonsense over and over again against the truths of Scripture. And at the same time, and this is why I say it's a devil's brew, because at the same time as that, as they're sent away, away from their friends, maybe they've grown up in the Lord, away from their parents who have raised them up in the admonition of the Lord, now they are away from them, and at the same time as this is going on, the flesh is being fed. You're around nothing but non-believers. That's why it says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. And when you see that, you see that they now have their best friends. All of their friends around them are non-believers, typically. Now, every, the, the house that they probably live in, they're not living on their own. They actually usually have roommates. There are girls, there is alcohol, there's bong loads. All of this stuff is going on 
And it's all at the same time. So now, not only do you have your flesh to feed, but then after your flesh gets fed, you have a professor, you have a teacher and your friends and your TikTok and your Instagram and anything you want to cultivate that disbelief so that now alongside of your fleshly desires being fulfilled, you are also cultivating what? those doubts to come in. So why are the doubts there? The doubts might come in about the truth of Scripture, about the moral ethic, the sexual ethic of God, because you're committing these indecent acts and going towards them. And I'm I'm bringing this all, hopefully, into somewhat of a little bow so you can see exactly what's happening. I'm only telling you that not only from personal experience, people I've counseled, and just what the climate looks like. And when you see all that, even for those who come home, and get that advice maybe back from their parents. Maybe they find some good apologetic answers, and maybe they do come back. A lot of times when they go back, even to now they're they're growing up, they're getting married and all that stuff, now when they're back in that field and they're at their workplace and they're going out drinking with their buddies and they don't really know how they feel about it, and maybe I have some convictions or, or here, It all comes back because now they can go and find their favorite anti-apologist online. And this whole deconstruction movement that we've seen, I believe with everything in me, comes directly from wanting to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. And you're looking at these things. And now all of a sudden, those doubts are accompanied with your flesh. And now they lead you way away from the Lord And it is so difficult to bring them back. And so when I see the dangers from without, I want to go a little bit outside the box here, but these are the things that me personally, from the people I've talked with, these are the things that I see and the way that Satan has brewed this. And I think it is so unbelievably dangerous. And for everyone to think that their kid is, whether it's, you know, at the high school or whatever, my kid's going to be the evangelist when they need to be fortified in the faith of Christ. I personally believe that this has been one of those dangers that when we see these deconstruction movement and all that, they're fed it all day, all of their friends, and at the same time, right when their fleshly desires are waiting to be fulfilled. Amen. Very good. That's an incredible uh, exposition and hopefully admonition for you as well if you're paying attention to what Chad's saying. He's saying beware of uh, going down that path. It's And man, that's collected, a Chad, I'd say millions of young people, yep. you know, millions of professing believers, enemies being able to get through those very scenarios. Uh, what you're saying relates a lot to what I was, I'm, I'm saying as well, a little bit different uh, because I think they complement each other and hopefully, you know, we can all be very thoughtful about what we're facing. Uh, when I was thinking the greatest sin, man, that just the greatest threat outside the church, you know, often we're dealing with things in the church because they're right there before us and many Christians are aware of what's going on outside the church, but it can become very, very subtle, you know? Uh, for instance, somebody playing a video game, unless it's a demonic video game that's encouraging you to do evil, uh, you know, it's not like someone's going to forfeit their salvation. However, if they if that becomes their God, you know, yeah. that becomes first in their lives, then there becomes a, a real danger. And so it's interesting. Uh, I, it's funny because we are both thinking about the parable of the sower without really discussing it uh, regarding the threats. And... Persecution is a huge threat. And, and, you know, in the early church, uh, we talk about, well, the enemy used persecution in the early church. It didn't really work. Well, it did with some people, you know. Yeah, amen. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, the scriptures reveal that to us. And 
And in the Revelation, we see that, you know, the mark of the beast comes out. Persecution plays a huge role uh, in, uh, you know, that, that's why believers are called in Revelation 12 and 13 and 14 in light of the attack of Satan on the church at the end of 12 and then 13 and then 14. Uh, this, it, we're called the perseverance with, of the saints in the midst of that persecution. And those who take the mark of the beast, which is the ne- number of his name or what have you, are, are in dire straits for all eternity, you know. So I looked at that, but I thought, you know what, when the enemy did use persecution, you know, God used to purify the church, but it seems as though uh, he has a far more, when, when the church gets persecuted, a lot of believers become stronger, you know. So that wasn't, isn't the only thing as Arsenal, and by no means don't go away with these couple things we're talking about, saying these are the biggest things or only things, yeah. because he uses a concert of various, you know, things to, to deceive us. Uh, but I came up with in the end, uh, uh, the thread I want to talk about that I think is huge is, is idolatry. Because idolatry is, is the sin that we see warned about most in Scripture uh, mm-hmm. from Genesis to Revelation. And there's more text spent on idolatry than any other sin in the Bible by far and away, you know? Which is interesting, though, because it dovetails with what you're saying, Chad, because what you're, what, a lot of stuff that you talked about, it falls under, whether it's love of pleasure, uh, falls under the, the, uh, you know, the rubric of, of, of idolatry in general. Because a lot of people think of idolatry in the terms like, yeah, that's a huge problem in, in China or the, you know, the uh, Far East, you know, and, and in biblical times. But we don't bow down before idols today. But uh, <laughs> you're, you'd be sorely mistaken if you think that's true because you don't have to, you know, bow down before a, uh, an idol of stone or, 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 you know, wood or iron or clay or what have you to be an idolatry. You just have to put something before the Lord. And when I say about idolatry, I think the greatest, the first of the Ten Commandments, which is repeated in the, in, the, in the New Testament as far as making sure God's first, is you shall know the gods before me. And then in the New Testament, we read, uh, Jesus is asked the greatest commandment, and he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, in Matthew 23, around verse 37 through 39. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and the whole soul and, and with all thy mind. And also we read another text in, in the New Testament, our whole heart, soul, you know, strength and mind. And that's the greatest of the commandments. And if we put something before Jesus, whether it's a girlfriend, uh, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, uh, any a myriad of different things we could put, or a boyfriend, or uh, something that's, we know God's saying no, you know, sexual sin. Uh, a lot of things are idolatry. Now, it's interesting because, uh, listen to some of the New Testament texts. First Corinthians 10, 14 says, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. We're supposed to flee from idolatry, take off, like, Joseph, I always think of, when I see that scripture, yeah. flee idolatry, I think of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, right? When he just booked out of there, right? And first, uh, first John 5, 21, the epistle ends, and, you know, little children, keep yourselves from yeah. idols. And then also in Re- uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, in the book of Revelation, it talks about those who refuse to repent. Amidst all of God's judgments, all these people are wiped out. And the first thing it mentions on the vice list is, those who worship demons and idols, and it spends mm. more ver- more words in the Greek on that idolatry than the other warnings, which is kind of interesting. And then in Revelation twenty one eight, there's a whole vice list of those who go to the lake of fire, including idolaters. So this is really serious because we have one short life to live, and we need to make sure we live it for Jesus and we know Him. Uh, so, but the interesting thing is, idolatry comes. Idolatry is really basically putting anyone or anything uh, before the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have to examine our hearts and make sure we're right. Uh, with God, and uh, because idolatry comes in many, many forms, you know, 
in Colossians 3, 5. Listen to what it mentions. At the end of this verse, it uses the word idolatry, but idolatry is basically summing up everything he just mentions. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. You know, love of money. They talk about the almighty dollar, you know, as though it it precedes God for many people. It says, put all these things away from you, including greed, it says, which is idolatry. So when we put these things in the world before God and these love for pleasures, you know, love for money, uh, pride, you know, envy, strife, malice, nurturing, unforgiveness or anger towards somebody and refuse to repent, even that's a form of idolatry because you're saying, I love this thing more than God because this person's hurt me and I know he says to forgive, but I refuse to. Well, that's a, even that's a form of idolatry. So it's kind of a catch-all, I guess. I'm kind of cheating in a way, Chad, because I'm taking a yeah. word that basically includes everything, but it's something that is specifically pointed out under, under the rubric of the word idolatry. So we'll be able to identify these things. I love that the Lord does this because he lets me see, he lets Chad, he lets all of us see that guess what? Anything I put before Jesus is a form of idolatry. And it's very, very serious. No, I, I love I love that you brought that up because Joe, one of the things, and I and I know you do this sometimes. We talk about giving the good person test, and one of the things you bring up is idolatry yeah. right away. And sometimes people, when they give that test, they forget that one. That one is just that nails people. Yeah, it's more important than the adultery to me. And yeah. in all honesty, I'm just this is just my because everyone can identify with it. Everyone can identify with <laughs> it. And my personal perspective, um, a lot of times. I don't like when ladies are asking a man yeah. in the good person test if they've ever looked at a woman with lust because typically the responses a lot of times are very inappropriate. Yeah. So I've always liked actually transitioning over from instead of using the adultery one, which, yeah, guys are guilty of that. That's very easy to find. But the idolatry, you know, I used to go, man, how is everyone going to worship the Antichrist, Joe? How, how is everyone going to do that? And I'm like, I remember watching a Slipknot concert in their DVD, Disaster Pieces. And in that, he got, you know, 50,000 people to bow down on their knee. And then when he told them to jump, they all jump. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. Now that I realize how easy yeah. it is. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And it, since you mentioned, uh, you know, the bowing down before men, there is that, that's going to be the, the basic climax of idolatry in, in the, the world system that we live in. When the Antichrist, you know, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. It says all in Revelation 13, it says in verses five through seven, that all the world will worship him. And in verse four, it says they really, it says they worship the dragon, which is Satan, because they identify with Satan in Revelation 12, 9. Uh, they worship the dragon who gives his power to the beast. So it's really crazy. The Bible says that before Christ comes back, the world will be a bunch of devil worshipers. That's, that's crazy when you think about it, right? But it's true. Yeah. They'll be worshiping the dragon because he gives his power to the beast. And they'll be worshiping the beast saying, who can make war with him? And, and there'll be a false prophet doing miracles, bringing down fire from heaven, telling people to worship the beast. And it's interesting because, Chad, you had mentioned music and, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he had that type picture. He had an image made of him in the Old Testament, in the book of uh, Jeremiah or uh, Daniel. And 60 cubits high, six cubits wide, six different musical instruments are mentioned you, that are used to get the world, nations, peoples, and tongues in the civilized world that were gathered there because that was the empire of the world to worship that image. And so it's interesting because while we say that idolatry takes all these forms now that are very subtle, it's going to become very, very blatant. And music is used that way. And when you were talking about Slipknot there, I was thinking about just how powerful music is as, as far as a persuader. I remember Madonna, we show in our video, they sold their souls for oh, rock and roll. And yeah. I think she's in Australia playing before, you know, t- you know, tens and tens and tens of thousands of people. And she's singing, I'm going to ring my bell, you know? And she, and she wants everybody to repeat. 
Everybody's, I'm going to ring my bell. It's part of the song. I'm going to go to hell. All of a sudden you have, you know, I don't know, 80, 90, I don't know how many people are there, 1,000 people singing, I'm going to ring my bell. They're all just shouting, I'm going to go to hell. And that's not, and most of those folks would not drive down the street say, I'm going to go to hell. They would, they'd be whore. And a lot of those are probably professing Christians going to church on Sunday and they're singing, I'm going to ring my bell and go to hell. But their conscience and hopefully the Holy Spirit, if they're Christians, Holy Spirit would be saying, this is wrong. This is wrong. He's grieved. And they continue to do it because the power of peer pressure, uh, being starstruck, uh, being strung along by some other songs that aren't so blatant before you know it, uh, you're, you're, you're in a state of just total, total deception. What's interesting, because lovers of pleasure is more than lovers of God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because you, you did a really good job with that. But uh, uh, we have to watch out that how do, you, how do we know, how can we discern, you know, what the difference is between when we're actually loving pleasures more than lovers of God? Well, if we say, I'm not going to read my Bible anymore because I'm just having too much fun doing other things. I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, more into the light of my TV, as Keith Green put it, than the light of God's word, you know? And, mm. and every one of us, so I don't want you to feel condemned, okay? Because every, every one of us feels we should read scripture more, amen? Yeah. Uh, but so, so that's not the point. The point is this. If you're just setting God's word aside, though, saying, I don't, you know, want to read God's word anymore and so forth. I'm tuning into this because you don't really care about God's word anymore. It's not even a struggle for you. Then there's a problem. Then that, you're probably committing idolatry if you... If you're saying, hey, I know God's word, you're in adultery. Let's say you're committing adultery and you're sleeping out, sleeping with somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband, uh, and, and you know what God's word says, but you refuse to repent. That's idolatry. That shows you're loving the pleasure of sex more than the Lord God. That's very easy. Are you obeying God's word? We all fall short of God's glory, but we, Chad and I always make a distinction. There's a difference between falling short of God's glory. We all do that at times, right? And practicing rebellion and refusing to repent of, of what you know is rebellion against God. If say, God, have mercy on me and give me strength to put you first. Uh, love of money came up briefly because it's on that list of in Colossians uh-huh. 3, 5, greed. Uh, and Jesus addressed that in Matthew 6, 24. Uh, he says, you know, uh, you, you, no man can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. And he said, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon is a, the Greek word there means speaks, speaks specifically of money. So we have to make sure, well, how do I know when I'm putting money first? Well, you don't go to church anymore. You don't fellowship anymore. You don't. You don't, you don't put money in the kingdom to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, because you want to spend it all on yourself. And you definitely don't want to go to church because you can work on Sunday morning, you know. Now, if you have to work for a period of time on Sunday mornings and one man esteems one day above another, one, one, another man all days alike, and, you're, and, and you have a conviction, but you're still sowing in God's kingdom, you're still in fellowship with people, and you're still going to partaking church. Partaking of communion. Yeah, you're still yeah. partaking of communion. You're still subject to... Uh, godly leaders and so forth, or maybe you're between churches, but you're seeking out a solid church. Well, praise God, that's good. But if you're just saying, hey, because I want to make sure nobody afterwards says, oh, I missed church three weeks in a row. I'm condemned. No. But if you're like, hey, I don't really need to be in fellowship, then that's that's very, very important that we understand uh, that that that's a sign of idolatry, you know? And I think it's important because, as Chad, it's funny, Chad, because you mentioned some of the scriptures I meant, I was out of my mind as well. So I thought the Lord must be speaking to both of our hearts in the same similar way. Because in 1 John 2, which Chad referenced, in verse 15, John warns us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Yeah. You know? And he says, and the world is passed away. These things are passing away. He says, the world is passing away. And the lust thereof, those, things, those that are lusting after these things, are passing away. But he says, he that does the will of God abides forever. Mm. So you can say, am I doing the will of God? 
Or am I chasing all these things? And it's interesting, he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, well, we see, you can go back to Garden of Eden, and you can see Satan use all three of these forms of idols. They're all at play with Eve. First, he starts out with, hath God said, you know, has God said, to get people to doubt God's authority, the authority of God's word. That's where the deconstructionism comes from, that Chad had mentioned. Satan tries to get us to doubt the sufficiency of Scripture, to make a Gumby Jesus that we can live with because then we don't can, we can command him as the way they do in the word faith. When they actually command God, they'll actually say, I command you, some of them, to God. It's just wicked. So, uh, But when you look at Genesis 3, 1 through 6, you see all three of these things, the less the flesh, the less the eyes, the pride of life, which John says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, which I quoted, are the enemy of your soul. And you have the lust of the flesh, you know, you have the lust of the eyes, you have the lust of the flesh, you saw that the fruit was good for eating. You just want to taste it, even though it was in rebellion to God. That could be a great picture of forbidden, you know, ungodly, perverted sexuality, right? Things that, things that are outside God's word. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. She saw, she saw that, the, that it was good. So Satan will use temptation to try to go through the, the eye gate, you know? And so you have the lust of the flesh, you have the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What was the pride of life? He told Eve, you shall be as God. Try to stroke her ego. You can be God. So all those three lies were in play there. And we can have victory over those lies, though. And Jesus, who was tempted not in a garden, but in the wilderness, and not with all this lush fruit around him to satisfy him, but fasting for 40 days, such a contrast. He was led by the Holy Spirit out mm. to be tempted by the, or tested by the devil, and we see that in Matthew 4, and we see that in Luke chapter 4. It's kind of interesting because guess what? You see those three types of temptation together. Again, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You have the lust of the, the flesh. Jesus, he's fasting for 40 days. He has made a commitment to God to fast a certain amount of time. And the enemy's like, turn these stones to bread, you know? And Jesus deals with the lust of the flesh. How? He puts on the armor of God, and that's what we have to do so we can have victory over the flesh. He put on the whole armor of God, and that we may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the methods of the devil. And one of those weapons is called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Jesus whips out the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And he, he counters Satan and, and they lust the flesh there. How does he do it? He says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So to conquer the lust of the flesh, you take the sword out and say, I'm going to obey God's word above my appetite, above my desires, above my fleshly desires. So he conquered the lust of the flesh, uh, that Satan tried to bring his way. Uh, Jesus never lusted for the flesh. He just bypassed, bam. Then there was the uh, lust of the eyes, you know. Satan took him up to a high mountain. He showed him a vision. In Luke 4, he showed him the kingdoms of the world. In a moment's time, it says, bow down and worship me and I'll give all this to you. Wow, well, guess what? Guess who's saying yes to that right now? The new apostolic reformation, right? They're yeah. like, yeah, we want that power now. We don't want to have to suffer. There's a danger within. Yeah, there's a danger within. We're trying to, yeah, we don't want to go yeah, there, right? Yeah, no. but, but then he deals with that. He says, it's written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. So when Satan offers you pride, he offers you a path of fame or whatever it is, say, no, man, I'm going to worship the Lord God before any of these other things. And then there's a pride of life. And then there was a pride of life. What was that? You know, takes him out to the pinnacle temple, says, Jesus, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. For he'll give his angels charge you, and they'll gather you up so you don't hit your foot against the stone. Uh, he's quoting scripture, by the way. Satan knows scripture better than any of us, okay? And in Psalm 91, he quotes verses 11 and 12 there, but Jesus recognizes what he's doing there because Jesus is not going to go to the biblical temple and say, yeah, I'm going to jump and I'm going to have the pride and everybody's going to see how special I am because I'm going to be gathered up by these angels. He says to Satan, it's written, thou shalt not test the Lord oh, thy God. God. In other words, Satan, guess what? You're misusing scripture. You're causing me to commit 
You want me to commit suicide right here? And I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to test the Lord God. All three of these things, what does he do? He puts the Lord God first and he uses the scripture to support that. So we encourage you in Jesus to overcome all these different temptations we've talked about in these assaults against you by staying in the word and conquering the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and you'll have victory in Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you guys. You've been listening to The Good Fight Radio Show with pastor and author Joe Schimmel and host Chad Davidson discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how they relate to family, culture, and the church. To learn more about Good Fight Ministries, visit us online at goodfight.org. Join our growing social media family and consider partnering with us at patreon.com slash goodfight.